Welcome to Thrive HR, a podcast by Thrive Pass. In this show, we sit down with industry leaders to explore the world of HR and everything it has to offer. I'm your host, Andreas Deptola. Our overarching belief is work should be additive in people's lives. It should not be a dream and that people should feel good in the workplace such that they then perpetuate that goodness out in the world. On today's episode of Thrive HR, Andreas is joined by Peggy Shell, founder and CEO of Creative Alignments. They discuss the benefits of a non-traditional recruiting model, the great upgrade, and hiring methodology. They also speak about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the important role it plays in the workplace. Hey, Peggy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Peggy, let's start with, with your career journey, right? You are the founder and CEO of Creative Alignment. What was your journey in the, in the industry and what was the catalyst for, for, starting, for starting the firm? Yeah, good question. So I like to consider myself an accidental ent- entrepreneur. I'm married to a, an entrepreneur from womb mm-hmm. kind of individual, like just born to be, right? It turns out I, I might be too, but I didn't know it. And so I had been, actually, I'd been a high school math teacher long ago. And then I found myself in the business world and I was doing HR and recruiting. And the company that I'd been recruiting for, I was doing during 2003, the great, you know, the, the dot-com bust and they consolidated everything back to San Francisco. So Boulder did not have a presence anymore. So I was given the opportunity to move and I thought, not what I'm interested in doing. And so I recruited for them from afar, kind of a side gig almost. And I had a couple other jobs. I had a baby. So I did that for a good eight, nine years. It was good money. I enjoyed it. It was never my passion necessarily, but I was good at it. And and then it was 2008. And my husband was two years into his... Actually, it was 2010. He was two years into his company that he started in 2008. And he said, you know, I think we need a hedge on my business because he was investing in companies. And, and this, it was a longer term play. And I said, great. I'd love to start a yoga studio. I had been really into yoga at the time and had been teaching. And he's like, mm, let me show you yoga studio math, <laughs> recruiting firm math, like kind of a, a mm-hmm. light PNL of sorts on, on two pieces of paper. And I thought, recruiting firm, like, I have no interest. That's just my side thing, right? That's what I make a little money doing. And he was like, well, then go make a little more money doing it. <laughs> it's like, I'm not asking you to like, you know, have a huge company or anything, but go, go, go find a few more clients. And I thought, okay, I could do that. And I was, I was focused in creative services at the time. So I found a few design agencies in the Boulder area. And I charged by the hour for my time because that's what I had been doing as an independent contractor for that one company. And sure enough, a lot of companies thought, wow, that's great. You know, I've, I've never hired a recruiter because of the big fee or whatever it was. And but I know you, I like you, let's do this. And so slowly but surely, Creative Alignments was born. And I had a number of contractors that worked with me for me as my business grew. And I, it was more than I could handle on my own. And, and then truly, it just, it just organically evolved from there. It's been 12 years now. And it's just amazing to look back at what has been built thanks to a number of really loyal individuals. I did bring on a business partner in 2012 and he's amazing and it's been great. Yeah. 
So it seems like that the love for Boulder, Colorado, and not willing to move to San Francisco and, and the, the business opportunity yeah. at hand really were you know part of the reason for you to you know scale up the company. You mentioned something about the the different fee structure, right? Where yes. you were you know, for time and not the traditional model, right? Where it's X percent of the the salary, right, of the new employee. Is that still the case or have you since uh, altered the model? No, we stayed very pure to it. It's, it's interesting because I did not realize how unique it was. Right. Yeah. So when I was in HR internally for the design agency, I mentioned I hired a couple of external recruiters and we paid the big contingency fee. And I remember getting the invoice and like apologizing to the founder of the company. and like, I'm so sorry you have to write this big check because I hired them, even though I had approval and everything, of course. So I taught myself recruiting at that time. And so when I was out finding more clients, it was really, it was a win-win I saw. Like I just needed a little bit of money. They didn't want to pay a lot. Let's do this. And And it was about a year or two in that it was just clear from the many conversations I had with pros- with prospective clients, how unique it was, which is fascinating, right? Because charging by the hour in any professional services industry is not unique. Anything else is usually unique, right? But in, cre- in recruiting and in real estate, really, those are the two where like at some point it evolved to have this success fee model. And actually, you can see how, what, how and why that probably happened. But there was this need for this kind of pay for the effort involved experience. And, and it's, it's now, like I said, it's been 12 years and it has been our differentiation. And it is the number one, number one reason I think that we have been as successful as we have been and has grown, have grown as much as we have. Yeah. And I, so I, I don't think I'll ever go back. I was, I was offered the opportunity a few times, like, well, you could work well with us, but can you do a contingency based and, once we did and never did it again, literally. So, yeah. yeah. And you know, you always reflect on, on, on incentives, right? What are the right incentives for your sales force and, and other things you, you mentioned real estate? I assume from, from a buyer's perspective, you know, the incentives are much more aligned now, right? Because if I now place a candidate with you and I'm just paid a percentage of salary, right? My incentives obviously is to place somebody as, as, as soon as right. I can. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, right? But uh, on the right. surface. Yeah, we're a part of our clients' teams. That's how we see it. It's like where you're outsourcing your recruiting, in-house recruiting to us until you're big enough to, to have a team on your own, at which point that's a great transition for a lot of our clients is where we'll take you from, you know, let's say five, 10 million in revenue until 80 or a hundred. Now you're big enough. You're probably hiring enough. We'll augment your internal team that will help you hire. You know, you could say there are a few clients who have struggled with the hourly model because it's such a paradigm shift where they, they think, you know, so what's your incentive to not bill a lot? And the point is, we want you to keep hiring us. We're not looking for the one or two hire from our clients. In fact, most of our clients, we, we handle all of their recruiting, right? So we want it to work out long-term. If we take too long, you're not going to keep working with us, you know? And we average somewhere around 10 to 12% of the first year salary in an aggregate manner. So there may be a higher or two where we don't even fill it after they've had to pay us for some of the time. And that all works out in the wash because then there's other hires where it was the equivalent of 4% of the first year salary, or maybe about two hires for one search or whatnot. So it's been, it's been great. Super fair, in my opinion, super aligned, like you said. And, uh, you know, incentives are, are, 
you know, we we're on we're on the same team. Yeah, important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I assume more recently you talked about the growth of the company, right? I assume that what we have seen over the last couple of years is is more tailwind for for your services, right? Specifically, sure. as as we are talking about the great resignation, right? What what are you seeing in the market? What what is what's what's Crazy. going on from the recruiter's perspective? A market I've never seen before. I mean, really, I I can't even you know I've been asked to predict where we headed. And honestly, who knows? It's been such a, a wild ride since COVID hit. We were on the upswing in early 2020. We nearly crashed. I mean, I literally, literally didn't know if we'd have a business on the other side. And then within six months, we were doing record sales again. Crazy. And it's a very tight. I mean, it's just an incredibly tight market right now. I read this morning, actually, that there's 1.9 job openings for every unemployed person. So, I mean, there's just more jobs than there are people that can fill them. And then you then you factor in the specialty or the ones that require certain skill sets or certifications or whatnot, which is a lot of what we work on. And, you know, the market's even tighter. So I think what's what's happened now, everybody talks about the great resignation. I, I really think what's going to, what the long-term story is going to tell is one of a great upgrade. And I've seen those words before. And I do think there's also the flip side of the great regret of some people leaving and regretting it because they think the glass the grass is greener. But I do think there's a lot of upgrading. There's a lot of, I want to go do this next thing, or I want to go to school to go get this next thing, or I, I want to upgrade my life, right? Like that two-hour commute each way, each day was just not conducive to a healthy lifestyle. I want to upgrade and have a have better balance. So I, I've seen a lot of movement towards people valuing themselves and I, they, what makes them tick more and what they're looking for in their opportunities. And, and that's actually been really cool to see. And I think the other thing it's doing in a really good way, and this is what I, this is, this is creative alignment's mission, right? So our overarching belief is work should be additive in people's lives. It should not be a drain and that people should feel good in the workplace such that they then perpetuate that goodness out in the world, right? If I'm happier at work where I spend a ton of my time, I'm going to go be happier with my spouse and with my kids who are then going to emanate that same happiness as a result. So we're seeing a lot of employers have to step up and really respond to that, right? And say, wow, we took for granted, you know, what, how we treated or what we offered as an employment proposition. And we can't do that anymore. So not only do we have to pay more, which I'm sure you'll have some questions on, but we need to upgrade the whole experience for our employee base. And so that's great. I'll, I'll be curious to, to, to hear, I mean, you, you, you and your team, you're talking to candidates, hundreds and thousands of candidates on a, on a, on a weekly yeah. basis, right? So yes. what, what's, yes. what are typically the, the trigger points for an employee to consider uh, another position? You, you, you mentioned the great upgrade. Salary might be a, a bad manager, the culture not being a fit, work-life balance. Like what, what, are, what are the top reasons yes. for, for employees to leave? Yeah. Well, I think the one that was such a differentiator for companies like ours, which was flexibility, that's now just assumed. You got to offer that period and story, not an option if you don't. And what that looks like is people want to be able to take time out in the middle of their day and go pick up their kids or go work out or whatnot. And they don't want babysitting in the workplace. So I think 
letting people have the flexibility is now like uh, it's table stakes. You have to. So that's, so that's one that's still there and even more so. I've read a lot about, you know, remote versus hybrid versus, you know, in the office. I do think if you're requiring people to be in the office every day for a job they don't have to be, you're at a disadvantage. Your talent pool is going to be smaller. There are some people who want that much fewer. Many, many want the hybrid option and they want control over those decisions on their own. But other things that are being, are pulling people to opportunities. I can tell you creative alignments because of our hourly model, we reach out with our client's name and the opportunity. So we don't reach out with a broad solicitation that, you know, somebody doesn't know what they're being contacted for. I think there's too much of that going on by recruiters and by, you know, business process outsourcing companies that are being hired by recruiting firms. And now it's making the whole market of recruiters. So I, so I think that's, that's one thing is we're able to reach out and say, this company is looking for this. Here's the job description in Colorado. This is, you know, it even says the amount they're looking to pay. It's super transparent. And then people get to decide. I'm in, I'm in company A. Do I want to be at company B? Do, do I want to be in a job that's, you know, hopefully an upward move for me or whatever it is? You know, I, I think. That's, that's no different than ever that people want to see progress in their career. Compensation. I mean, it's crazy what has happened in the last six months with compensation. I have never in my 12-year career or even longer that I was doing recruiting, which is really 25 years, I have never seen such a quick spike. I mean, if you pull data from 12 months ago, it's kind of irrelevant. So many companies have had to adjust and re, you know, reassess what they pay their employee base. I know there's a lot out there that says, you know, employees don't leave for, because of compensation or they don't stay. And I know there's great, great data out there. And I think that's true. But I still think that's this like, this kind of like baseline of motivation, at least to a certain extent, right? If I can make X more and all these other boxes are checked, I'm going to be attracted to that opportunity or I'm going to be attracted to leave this opportunity. I mean, I know my recruiting team gets, you know, 10 pings a week for recruiting opportunities elsewhere, right? So now it's up to me as an employer to say, how am I going to keep my people? It's not going to be just compensation, but that's got to be part of it. So we actually, as an organization, did a whole revamp of our compensation structure. We looked at the market. We then said, no, we actually don't think the market's telling the right story. We upped that and created our own baselines. And, and then, you know, what we had to do same thing a lot of people had to do. And unfortunately, this is how inflation starts to happen is, you know, we had to raise our client rates and that's, you know, part of it as well. So, so you're talking about like, you know, compensation packages increasing in, in inflation. Do you see with your clients, do you see in the market that the compensation adjustments are in line with inflation or above inflation? I think it's a mad dash. It's a race. It's a race. Uh, I think, I think it's probably in line right now but it could easily get out of whack pretty quickly. And, and what are you seeing with your clients? I mean, not everybody is able to raise prices with inflation, yeah. right? So now if I yeah. raise the salaries, I mean, right. uh, is, is that, right. are there certain clients where that is not sustainable? Sure, a hundred percent. We'll see, right? Where that ends up. I, I wonder myself, I make that joke all the time, like fingers crossed, we can afford the changes we made, right? And, I, and I'm you know, confident that we can, but uh, yeah. And I think that comes down to creativity. Maybe it's not increasing rates. Maybe it's getting leaner in other places. Maybe it's in our case, we don't pay for an office anymore. So yes, it does mean we risk having a little less engagement. We haven't experienced that 
yet, but we might, because I do think people are inherently social creatures who want to be around each other, but we just make sure we do that remotely and even gather in person once in a while, but we save 10 grand a month by not having our rent. So now I now have, you know, an extra $120,000 a year to put towards compensation increases. So I think it's getting creative. It's figuring out other, other service lines maybe, or other ways to increase profitability. And maybe that's not from your, your gross revenues. Maybe it's in other ways. Peggy, you mentioned earlier a couple of terms, right? The great resignation, the great regret, right? So mm-hmm. I think there was a, there was a stat, statistic I, I saw the other day, like 40 to 60% of the employees that made a switch over the last 12 months are not happy now and are considering coming back. We're calling that the, the boomerangs, right? So well, what do you see with, with your clients and, and your placement on, on that front? Yeah, it's a great question. We haven't seen the coming back yet within our client base. And therefore, we haven't personally seen the great regret too often. I have read about it. I've heard about it. I totally think it's within human nature to have that. I think the grass is always greener on the other side. So I'm not surprised by that. I don't know where it's all going to net out. I'm curious. But I have a feeling if you measured it, there are more people who felt it was an upgrade than it was a regretful move. I, I do think those that left for compensation alone, which is a fairly large group, those probably had more regret than not, right? They were, they, it's like that shiny object they were attracted to. So I just, there's so much uncertainty in general in the world and in the labor force and, and everywhere that I, I don't even know if you can pinpoint the great regret to that. Like who knows what's driving people to make the decisions they're making right now in this uncertain you know, state of the world. But. And I would say that what, what we are, we're, we're probably certain of is that the, the change will continue, will accelerate, right? And I think so. Absolutely. Great. But one of the things I love seeing is what I mentioned before, which is I think there is this connection, not for everybody, but people are, they're seeking more purpose in the workplace. They're, you know, I think a lot of people, and I've read a lot about this, I'm sure you have as well, you know, if you look mortality in the eyes, you realize, wow, what do I want to do while I'm here on this earth? And not everybody's even consciously having that thought, but they realize how much time they spend working, right? And so that kind of grind job or the job that wasn't bringing them happiness or even worse, that was bringing them down, You know, obviously I'm talking from a little bit of a place of privilege. Not everybody has the privilege of making choices like that necessarily. But I think that those that do and and could have consciously or unconsciously made some changes accordingly so that their their work is more fulfilling, so that they're connected. And I and I hope and I think I'm seeing employers recognize that as well and really step back and think like, what do I exist for as an employer? It's probably more than just making a lot of money for my investors or for me, right? It's it's creating this awesome place to work. It's recognizing that, you know, I have the opportunity to change lives in my employee base, or in our case, encouraging our employers to do the same, right? Our our clients. So and that might certainly be a, a positive inflection point, right? For for people, right? But like yeah. Yeah. one thing that I was curious about is how have the the demand, the ask from your clients changed over time? So what I mean was mm-hmm. that specifically is we talked about salary increases, we talked about all of that. Are they yeah. 
do you see now, are you getting asked to recruit overseas, right? Or in different countries to, to take advantage of, 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 of labor arbitrage? Or is that not a trend yet? Some clients that, that last suggestion you made is, is starting to become a little more prevalent in this, in this small to mid market that we work in. Still not a lot. I think more that what's happening is they're listening to us talk about the unique candidate who maybe doesn't look identically correct on paper, but who we talk to and believe the potential is there for them to pretty quickly ramp up into that job. So I'll use our company as an example. Again, we about a year and a half, maybe even longer ago, maybe three years ago, looked at the skill sets of our recruiting, our recruiters that did an awesome job. And we thought, how much is teachable and how much is innate and who they are as human beings. A lot of it was innate and very teachable. So we started to hire for kind of not, I hate to use the word personality types. We, we started to hire for people who we thought were great communicators, who had experience working with clients, who were intuitive, who were independent, because there's a lot of very independent work, who were pretty entrepreneurial. And then we taught them recruiting. And we have we have some of our best recruiters that have gotten up to speed within six weeks to be, you know, some of our clients' favorites, you know, that they've ever worked. In fact, actually today, we had one of our newest recruiters, never, not a recruiter, comes from sales in the food space, was on our food team. And one of our biggest clients has a VP level or high level search. They specifically requested her. She's been with Creative Alignments in recruiting for six weeks. And so the director on our team said, Hey, wait, you know, you know, she's really not that experienced, right? We just want to make sure you know that. And they said, she's great. We love her. Yes, we want her. So, you know, I think, I think if more employers start to think about the training component and worry less about a been there, done that, in fact, fewer employees or candidates want that lateral move right now. They don't need to. So, so I, I think really hiring for potential and thinking a little more out of the box is number one. I think that training within is number two, a lot of promoting and training within. And I think thinking more about aligning candidates in the recruiting process with something more than, you know, the resume and whatnot. So like, ooh, can you still hear me? Okay. They just like went out. But um, oh, that's perfect. Thank you. Okay, good. Got this uh, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks. So aligning candidates with you know, values for the candidates and the company, right? It's so like figuring out what makes a candidate tick and and brings them a lot of joy and deciding if you've got that right set of circumstances for that. So Peggy, you know I got to I mean? ask yeah. to get the yeah. insights yeah, now. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's obviously interesting to hear from your perspective how you are hiring for your employees, right? As, as an expert in it. So so maybe two, two follow-up questions to what you said. Number one, I would be interested to hear like for creative alignment, for your new employees, for the recruiter you're bringing, are you using any kind of personality test? And then my second question. question there is, you mentioned between the lines, the alignment of the employee and the core values of the mm-hmm. organization. Anything tangible you can give us like, how do you achieve that in the interview process? Yeah, great question. So I'll answer your first one first. A, I have an unpopular opinion on personality tests. I don't think they have a place, a big place. They have a little place, actually. I don't think they have a big place in the recruiting process. And pretty much any personality test out there will tell you they were not created for the recruiting process. They were recruit, They were created for training and development and internal mm-hmm. communications. 
So I've, I've seen far too many employers make decisions to rule in or rule out based on only the data that this personality test produces. And it, and I, I find it often inaccurate and I, and I'm saddened by it sometimes because I think they lose great potential candidates as a result of the data. Now, is the data helpful potentially? It might be. Right. So if you have an inkling or a concern or a gosh, I wonder if this person is ever enough to do this job, it might validate or it might, you know, it might tip, tip the scales one way or the other. But I, I personally don't love it for the actual recruiting process. So we don't use it. We will implement a client's personality test if they feel strongly about it. I love it for training and development. I think personality tests are awesome. I personally love Enneagrams myself. Forgot about even in the workplace. I think they're really just fun and accurate and they, they tell a cool story and help people go, oh, well, I'm more of a helper and I'm more of a, you know. And so I like that. I, I know a lot of people use the culture index survey. I'm not a, I'm not an expert in it, so I can't speak to it. Again, I would, I just would be wary of any, of any assessments as a rule and rule out alone data point. So that's that question. And then in terms of tangible ways to hire for core values, uh, well, I think behavioral-based interviewing questions are great. So I think you take your core values and you decide what some behavioral-based interview questions are that you can ask that get to those. So what is a behavioral-based interview question? It's a non-yes or no, non-hypothetical question. So you ask somebody what they did you know, in their past that gets at what you're trying to get at, right? So if let's say collaboration is one of your core values, then you ask, you know, tell me about a time where you had to work closely with a colleague on a project or, you know, tell me about a time where you had a conflict with an employee and what did you do about it, right? So those kind of things. So I, so I think that's number one. I love scorecards for core values. So I actually think you can create a, a scoring system in the recruiting process for the core values. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's, I think it's less of like a one through 10 or one through five, and it's more of a plus minus neutral. And, and some of the core values may have more weight than others, or maybe it's about like, they really can't have a neutral more than once or twice, right? So you figure out what your, what your you know scoring system in the end looks like, but to have something tangible that everybody's using and thinking about their core values, I think it's Awesome. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And we, you know, at ThrivePass here, we use the Who methodology by Jeff Smart. Yeah. And have found that really, really impactful for our company, right? Are there certain elements of that methodology that you're also using for your process or that, that inspired yeah, you? We do for us internally. I do, I do the, the Who interview myself often for some of our leadership team members, but we've had clients ask us to do the who process. And I don't think that we are the right people to do. I think it really should be the kind of later stage, you know, and for those who don't know on the the who methodology, you know, it's very in-depth, really trying to get their thought process from high school through college, through their first job and beyond and asking questions like, what's the name of the, of your boss there? And, and so if I was to call, I say, if you're not really supposed to, but you know, I was to call that boss, what, what, what would they say about you or how would they rank you? You know? So I think those are great questions. It's just too in depth for the screens that we do for our clients. It takes too long. It's putting clients or candidates through, you know, too much of a rigmarole. Most of our candidates for our clients are what we call passive candidates. So they are candidates that we are reaching out to, that we find, that we pique their interest and talk to them about new opportunities. So we have to be real careful 
to not put them through too much before they're hooked, if that makes sense. You know, so a candidate applies. Okay, different story. They're they're opting in, right? But most of our candidates are not applying for the jobs that we're working for, for our clients. We're going out and finding them. Yeah. It totally makes sense. So what I'm hearing from you is like, you know, you are your services oftentimes at the beginning of the process, but then, you know, as you're handing over certain candidates to the organization, that's where the who methodology and, and other yeah. steps might be really valuable. I, I love I love the who methodology internally for hiring for your own team. Yeah. I think it's great. And I, I, you know, I think it's like anything to tell you the truth. I think you take some pieces of it that really work for you and you let go of some others that just don't. And, and anything too prescriptive, generally speaking, there isn't a one size fits all for our, all organizations. So, but there's some really good stuff in that, in the who methodology. Yeah. Thank you. These are some really tangible yeah. insights. So really appreciate that. Yeah. I want to okay. take our conversation now in a different direction. And I know you're really passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Yes. So that, 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 okay. That's an important topic for you. Tell us a little bit like, you know, about your passion, right? And, and, and yeah. some you know, tangible ways of how you have seen companies implement change successfully. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Very passionate. So I'll start with a quick story. George, George Floyd is murdered. I feel awful, as does you know much of the, the country and world. And I decide I want to say something on social media about it. And we had, at the time, one individual who was Black. And so we said to a small DEI work group that we actually already had just put together internally that included her, we'd love for you to review what we're going to put out. And they said, great. And so my marketing director wrote a little something real short and sweet and shared it. Didn't get any feedback from our individual employee who was Black. We were trying to respect that she was going through a challenging time. And we, you know, time is ticking in terms of, of having to be relevant to post it. So we posted it. And she reaches out and is like, whoa, time out. I don't know that that's what you want to post. That felt really performative. And it was this real big wake up call for us of, I don't know, you know, like I've, I've been very privileged to be white, right? I am a female entrepreneur, which is a minority and I'm actually Jewish, but I, but I don't wear either necessarily every day. Right. And it, and I'm not marginalized necessarily as a result. And so we actually gathered with her and said, what should we post? Please educate us, help us. Let's do better. We took it down right away. And I had shared internally a long Slack message with our team of just, gosh, this is really saddening. And here's the role that I think we as recruiters can play in making a difference. And I'm looking forward to this. And then she's like, post that. That was straight from your heart. There was nothing performative about that. So we put that up. And that was kind of the first realization for me of how blind my own perspectives had been, even as a recruiter. Like I hadn't really paused enough. I mean, I, I never considered myself to not be inclusive, but I didn't have the intentionality around inclusivity even. I didn't have the intentionality around creating the most diverse team and leadership team that I could, even though I knew the stats around businesses that did outperform those that didn't. And I didn't have the intentionality around seeking clients that we were placing individuals into to, you know, to, to seek out clients that were 
helping to rewrite some of this as well. And by the way, some of this is about doing good and doing the right thing to help change some of the systemic racism and systemic discrimination that marginalized groups face. But some of this is just really smart business, by the way. I mean, uh, the face of our nation is changing and whites in particular for the first time ever are less than 50% of the population. So if you want to compete in the next, you know, in the, in the next 10 years in business, you better face the fact that in an inclusive organization is going to be better than one that's not. And an inclusive, if you focus first, this is the, this is the biggest probably takeaway in the last couple of years is we can do all these tricks and I'll talk about a few to find diverse candidates for our clients. But if the company that we're recruiting for is not doing the work internally to be as inclusive as possible, it's not going to matter. Those candidates are not going to be attracted. They're not going to get, you know, they're not going to accept a job and they're not going to stay within those organizations. So first and foremost is you got to do the work internally to create a sense of belonging, to listen with complete openness to your employees and to make sure that everybody's voice is heard and that there are opportunities, equitable opportunities internally for everybody. So that's that's number one. Once you've done that, then you got to actually go tell that story externally. So you now have your employment brand piece to work on. So you're super inclusive. You feel great about it. I mean, it's, it's a continue. You got you to gotta keep working on that. That's never like a one and done kind of thing, but like assume that that's part of your commitment. And then you create a, you know, an employment brand that tells that story. So we really focus on that. In fact, in our case, we hired a guy named Sherard Robbins from Visceral Change. He's a DE&I consultant. And we sent him all of our materials, everything, all our assets internally, all of our handbooks, whatever, everything. And then he looked externally at us and he gave us a big audit. Here's where you're strong. Here's your hair. And, and I kind of thought it was going to be obvious. It was not. It was this amazing kind of checklist of ways that we could do, be, be doing better from our benefits to the way we were kind of getting our heart across online. So if you look at our site, hopefully you'll see now it's not, it's not a one statement. It's like it's ingrained into the like the fabric of the heart that you feel on our website now. So, so anyway, so you tell that story really clearly and now you're ready to go be intentionally focused on diverse talent pools. So, and the, and that's not easy, by the way, especially, you know, I, we were talking about this before, you know, when we had an office in Boulder, Colorado, I think 2% of the Boulder population is, is racially diverse, mm-hmm. something crazy low, right? We're in technology and we're in consumer products. Those are our two industries that we focus on both incredibly homogenous. So our, and recruiting even, by the way, but so we were not doing a great job at creating diversity in in at least those diverse talent pools until we opened up. I mean, that's basically one of the reasons we said we're going remote. We want to be able to tap into the talent pool across the whole country, right? And so those, those, those demographics are changing just as a result of A, kind of breaking down the barriers, but B, also intentionality. So I believe intentionality should be the word of the year as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion. If you're not intentional, you're not going to make a ton of progress. So a great example, a lot of, you know, you might have heard the term blind sourcing, which actually we we use the term internally, we call it unbiased sourcing, because I think blind in and of itself is, is maybe not as sensitive as it could be. But anyway, unbiased sourcing, right? So take away all the names and the pictures and the whatnot, and now source for candidates. Well, guess what? 
in technology, in food and consumer products, in Boulder, Colorado, like you're actually going to get a more homogenous talent pool. So I actually think the opposite in our case is true. We need to actually add in as much information as we can so that we can intentionally target the more diverse talent pools for ourselves and for our clients. So we have metrics now that help us measure how well are we doing? How well are we doing with active talent pools? Like where are we posting our jobs? How well are we doing with passive? How much time are we spending? Mm -hmm on sourcing with intentionality around diversity and with our hires that we've made. So one just tip, FYI, because I just recently learned this, but anytime you can have people self-report, it's better, right? So instead of us guessing, how well are we doing? And now looking at profiles, well, I think this person might be like, that's dangerous territory, right? So we have ways to have people self-report in a way that it doesn't attach to them as a candidate but it goes into this anonymous database, right, of of data for us to then measure how good are we doing at a holistic level. So anyway, lots to unpack there. You can see I'm highly passionate about it and uh, and learning every day. I would by no means say Thank you so much for for, for sharing your story here, right, as as it pertains to your own organization, but then also the framework of like, you know, what what, what can be done. And yeah, to your point, this this could be the own podcast episode, right? We could go... uh, 100%, the whole podcast series. Yeah. So so, uh, if somebody wants to dive deeper on that topic, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, good question. They're more than welcome to reach out to me directly, Peggy at creativealignments.com. Our team is also awesome. So if you go on our website and you go into the, you know, the whatever links that are on our site to reach out to us, that works as well. If you're a candidate seeking a, a, a job, I may or may not be able to spend time with every candidate. I, I try, but I, uh, you know, I could spend all day every day doing that. So I may you know, no offense if I hand you off to one of my team members to talk with them. If you're a prospect, I also might hand you off to two, two of our individuals who are even better than I am at talking about our services. And oh, but we'd love to hear from you. I'd, I, you know, and if you have other tips that we could learn from, you know, we're all in this together as much as we can work, at, you know, collective, you know, human beings in this process. I think that's going to be better. There's nothing proprietary that's going to be helpful if we you know keep keep our knowledge too close to our chest so yeah so so i want to kind of like piggyback on that the last comment and, and ask my, mm-hmm. my last question for our conversation today you mentioned like the, the learning right yeah i know you are on the board of eo here in colorado the entrepreneurship organization what are other avenues for you to to learn to be engaged yeah. with community what recommendations do you have for our audience here yeah, good question. And by the way, this next year, I'm, I'm going to be the DE&I chair for EO Colorado, which I'm Great. really excited about. So one of the things that EO Entrepreneurs Organization has exposed me to is this well of learning opportunities that I just didn't even know existed. And now with you know all, all of these digital media opportunities, there's it's everybody has access to it. So I'll go like I went to I went to DC this past week for the Global Leadership Conference. And I heard Daniel Pink speak, and I think he's amazing. I didn't realize, he, I mean, maybe I should have realized. I never looked to find his podcast. Now I'm like, I'm on, I got his audio book going. I got his podcast going, right? So there's, I think everybody's got access to some of the best minds now based on the fact that it's not just one book they write. It's their constant, you know, sharing of knowledge that they gain. So I love the researchers. I love Daniel Pink. I love Simon Sinek. I love Brene Brown. I mean, some of the obvious mm-hmm. folks. Yeah. 
right? So, you know, I'm, I'm just a fan of, I mean, constantly learning. I have my AirPods in for like doing the dishes and for going on walks. And I'm just constantly consuming ways to get better and do better. And, you know, recognizing there's no reason I need to recreate the wheel for something somebody else has figured out. Let me just go borrow it. So I'm also a big believer, partly because I'm, I move really fast. Shocking, I know, but I need to settle down too. Like I need to keep my feet on the ground because they can easily get, you know, get loose. So, so Rod Stryker is one of my, he doesn't know it, but he's like my mentor (laughs) from afar. (laughs) I've never told him, but uh, he is a, he's a yoga instructor and just a beautiful mind. And so I, I, I follow him and I do his, some version of his yoga or meditation every morning. And I love Norman Fisher as well. He's like a, just like an awesome Buddhist mind and has a lot of really cool books. Yeah. So those, those are some of my, some of the things you'll find me doing on, on my own time. Well, thanks for sharing all of these resources, right? And, and thanks for taking the time today for this meaningful conversation. Yeah. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Thanks for including me. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted HR partner for innovative benefits technology. From lifestyle spending accounts to pre-tax to COBRA administration, ThrivePass has you covered. We personalize benefits. You thrive as the employer of choice. More at thrivepass.com.